Bibles to Matthew 13, if you would. That's page 691 in the Pew Bible, if you want to grab one of those out. Matthew chapter 13. And uh, while you're turning there, I just want to make a clarification about Jesus. You know, when Jesus talks, when Jesus teaches, he's not just trying to be interesting. (laughs) Uh, Like, he's not just like, am I a really good lecturer? Like, he's not laying in bed at night thinking, how do I want this lecture to go today? Uh, Jesus isn't sitting around thinking, ooh, I hope this story lands. I hope they really get it. I hope this makes sense. And, or I hope I educate them on this nuance of something that they're just really ignorant about. That's, that is not what Jesus is doing when he talks. When Jesus talks, what he's trying to do is resolve heart issues that exist inside of us. When Jesus teaches, when Jesus tells a story, he's trying to address something deeper that's going on in our life, and he's trying to lead us towards life. Because we don't always choose directions or pathways that lead to life. I mean, sometimes our habits, our behaviors, some of the things we do, they actually lead us away from life. They lead us away from what Jesus has for us. And so Jesus is always leading us towards life, even though we might be walking in other directions. And it's small things that we do. I'll give you just kind of a silly example. Um, There's this silly game or habit that I'll, that I'll play in my head. And uh, every now and then when I'm bored, maybe can't fall asleep, or when the Powerball hits like $9 billion, I'll play this game I call, how would I spend it? You ever done this, right? You go, well, if I had that much money, what would I do? You know? And of course I would like, do something humanitarian, right? Of course I would solve world hunger. Of course I would, right? Or build a school for kids that don't read good. Anything like that, right? I would do that, right? But it's always interesting that when I do that, there's always a little left over for me, right? It's like, I know I would do lots of good things, God. I would, I would. But then that little bit that's left over, I, what would I do with that? And then I'll play that game. I'll, I'll just start thinking, well, I would do this and I would do this. And, and this is why this game is, is so dumb. <laughs> I never get done with that and feel more content, right? It's never like, oh, that was good. I got that out of my system. It's like, yeah, why don't I have all those things, Right? So it leads me away from, away from life. And, and I think to myself, like, is it like I don't have enough? I mean, what is this thing inside the human heart that says, I don't have enough of whatever I, I need? Like, why do we always feel like we need more? I mean, th- think about it this way. I mean, along those same lines, um, have you ever stood in your closet and not known what to wear? Raise your hand if that's you. I just said, stood in your closet. You have a closet you can stand in. If you do, then you have a lot, right? Like, that's an amazing thing, right? Or like you're leaving your house, you're like, which car do you want to take today? (laughs) Because I have more than one car, right? Like, that's an amazing thing if that's you, right? You ever complain about the people caring for your lawn? Like, there's these little things that are first world issues, right? Like, man, I can't decide where to go to dinner tonight. There's too many choices, right? I, I, know, I know right now a lot of people, we're talking about inflation, we're talking about gas prices, all these different things. And I get it, I really do, I get it. Um, but I want to put some things in perspective just for a minute. The median household income in Beaverton, Oregon is around $36,500, somewhere in that ballpark. If you are making that amount of money, you are above the line that draws the difference between the top of earners globally and everybody else. So if you're making more than $36,000 a year, you are in the top 1% of all people living on this planet. So what does that mean? Well, that means you can be rich and not feel like it. Right? That means you can be rich, you can have a lot, and you still need more. You can be wealthy and not be well. 
We can have all kinds of stuff and money in the bank and cars in the driveway and houses to live in. And when you hear that Powerball number hit, you know, half a billion dollars, you go, ooh, what would I do with that, right? And that's just the money deal. Let's take that same conversation and let's shift it over to the love thing. Like I want to feel and know love. I want to love other people. Or what about the control thing or the safety thing? Or what about the respect thing? Here's what's crazy. We right now, we can live with all sorts of love and control and safety and respect. We can have all these things and still, still there's something in our soul that says, but I just, I feel like I need more. I feel like there's something else. As soon as life gets quiet, as soon as things kind of settle down, you get a little bit bored. You also get that feeling of you just get unsettled. Like there's got to be more, right? There's something inside of us that needs more. We think we know what it is, but we actually don't. So when Jesus teaches, when Jesus tells a story, when he gives us a parable, when he's talking, what Jesus is trying to do is address that thing that's inside of us. He's trying to tell people who don't know what they think they know. He's trying to say, no, this is what you need to know. This is what you need to see. Things that you need to understand, I'm here to tell you. That's what he's doing. And that brings us to the text we're looking at today. Matthew, in the middle of his account of the life of Jesus, does something really interesting. There, um, there's this point where he records Jesus just firing off story after story after story after story. It's like parable, 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 parable. And, uh, and, and it says at the beginning of the chapter that Jesus gets up this one particular morning and he, I'm sure he ate breakfast and did everything he would normally do. And it says he left the house and he went down to the seaside and he sat down. And when Jesus sat down, there was a whole crowd of people that began to gather around him. And that seems natural. Jesus spoke words of life. And so people gather around him. The crowd gets really big. And so Jesus pushes off in a little boat off the shore a little bit and he begins teaching and he's just firing away parable after parable after parable, story after story after story. And then in the middle of this, Matthew takes a break from recording these events and then he says this, he quotes Psalm 78, something that was said hundreds of years earlier about the Messiah. He says, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the foundation of the world. So he's telling these stories and then Matthew goes, by the way, the Messiah, what does he do? He tells us hidden things that we need to know. There are things that you and I need to know and we don't know them. And when Jesus tells these stories, he's giving them to us. He's revealing hidden things to us. Then Matthew continues on. Firestorm of parables, one after another. And all the way through, all of these parables, you know what he's talking about? He's talking about this thing called the kingdom of heaven. That there's a new kingdom. That there's a new place where you and I get to live. A new reality. A new ruler. A new realm. And he's trying to open the door of this kingdom to his listeners. He's inviting them to, to, to cross the threshold. To take a step into it. To experience it. So in the middle of this, we come to these two really simple parables that he gives us, but they speak volumes. They allow us to understand life and where we live so much better. And so I want to read these two. They're in verse 44 and 45. I want to read these two, and, and then we're going to talk about them. So Jesus is teaching, teaching, the kingdom of God is like this, the kingdom of God is like this, the kingdom of God is like this, and then he comes to this. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and he bought it. That was quick, I know. I'm gonna 
These are really important. Don't want to rush this. I want to read them again. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and he buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. So there there are two really significant ideas here. Two sentences that just change everything about our understanding of the world. There's a field, right? And in the field, there's a, there's a treasure out where anybody could find it. I want you to notice this about the story. This thing that the man finds is in a field that nobody owns. Anybody could have found it. It's right out there. It's just, there's this spot right out there. And the man found a treasure. Open enough, out there enough. He covers it back up because it's right there. Anybody could see it. And then there's this merchant who's searching for fine pearls. And then he finds one of great value. So one guy just seems to stumble onto the kingdom. The other guy is searching for the kingdom, but both of them are looking for the same thing. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is this thing that Jesus says is of great value, something that God offers to us. It's this this new way of living, a new kind of life. And it is so valuable that both men in both stories sell everything they have because this... This thing that I have found, this kingdom of God, this life is more valuable than any other thing. With, with all of our seeking, with all of our searching, with all of our rich but we don't feel rich, love but we don't feel love, searching for fun but we never feel joy, Jesus says, no, hold on a second. There is something you will find, something that makes all of that makes sense. So a couple points I want to point out. If you're taking notes, you can jot these things down. Number one is this. The kingdom is something that we find in the middle of this. Do you notice this? You discover the kingdom. You find the kingdom in the middle of this. The kingdom is something the man finds in the field and he buys it. He doesn't inherit it when he's dead. Are you getting Jesus on this? It's not like the kingdom of God is something you experience after you die in the sweet by and by. No, the kingdom of God is something you experience now. There's a man who's looking for something valuable, something better. And when he finds it, he buys it in present tense. He buys it for the now, in this moment. Which means this kingdom is something we experience here, in the middle of this. This is probably a horrible example, but um, how many of you remember um, Where's Waldo? Remember Where's Waldo, right? There's, there's this page with all of the color and all the detail and all the chaos and all the noise and somewhere in the middle of this is Waldo. I don't know, I can't get those minutes of my life back, by the way. Um, but you're looking for him, right? Because he's there, right? So Jesus is telling us, he's saying, listen, the kingdom of God, the answer to your heart's longing, to your soul's desire, this life of meaning that you're pursuing, the purpose, the peace that you're looking for, those things that seem to be so elusive, they're right there. In the middle of all the noise, in the middle of all the detail, in the middle of all the chaos, the kingdom of heaven is here. 
It's with us. This is why Jesus continually was saying the kingdom of God is at hand. Like you can reach out and you can take hold of it. He said the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is near to you. The kingdom of God is like this alternate reality, but one that exists right here in the middle of this one, which means that in the middle of your work, you can find it. In the middle of your relationships, you can find it. In the middle of family, in the middle of of a storm, in the middle of your brokenness, in the middle of conflict, you can find it. It's right here. That's the point. There's something different, and it's all around you. And, And I know what our problem is with it. Our problem is that we don't see it, right? You can't see it. Jesus says it's right here. He says it can be found. It's in the middle of this. But we look around and go, well, where? Like, where, where is this? Like, where, where's Waldo? I don't see him, right? I don't see it. But just because you don't see Waldo doesn't mean he th- isn't there, right? I mean, how cruel of a trick would it have been if they published those books and they left Waldo off a page? <laughs> I'd still be looking right now. Like I would still be sitting there going, I know he's here somewhere. He's got to be here somewhere, right? No, I kept looking for Waldo because I knew he was there. The problem wasn't that Waldo wasn't there. The problem was that I couldn't see him. And the problem is not that the kingdom isn't there. The problem is that we don't see it. We don't see it. We might not even be looking, but even if we are, we don't really know how. Because we tend to live in this very limited dimension. We live in the physicality of things. We live in what we can observe with our five senses, what we can can touch and what we can smell and see, the things that we can hear. Like we live in this limited dimension and, and, and yet there's this sense that we keep asking, what if there's more? In fact, some of you right now, you're like, well, that's kind of why we came to church today because we think there might be, right? And there is, right? But if there is more, then what is that more that we know? And, And have we experienced something so profound that we sold everything we had to buy the plot of land? Is this more that you and I have discovered so compelling that we sold it all to take possession of that pearl? Have we encountered the depths of what Jesus is describing to us? So in order for us to understand this a bit more, I want to just go a little bit deeper, kind of open our eyes, like what, what's really going on here? And in order to do that, I want to go back in time. Sometimes we need to go backwards in order to understand the moment that we're in now, right? So I want to go way back in time. There's this, there's this group of people called the Hebrews. They're living in Egypt. Chosen by God, they're a special people, but they're living as slaves. And Moses, this shepherd, is directed by God to lead them out of their slavery into this promised land. It's a physical event that speaks to spiritual realities that happen in our lives, right? You go from slavery to this land of promise, right? And in the process, he not only writes their own history as a people, but also in this beautiful, wonderful, poetic, compelling sort of way, he gives the history of humanity. He goes back to the beginning. He goes back in time to make sense of the moment that they're in, just like we're doing. And it's almost as if Moses knew, like, okay, I'm going to tell these people, you come from this guy named Abraham, and he had a son, and then he had two sons, and then he had 12 sons, and then we got here today. He knew that somebody was going to go, what about before him? And so he goes all the way back, and he goes all the way back to the beginning. In Genesis chapter 1, we read this really beautiful description. It says, in the beginning, there was God. There was God, the Hebrew word Elohim. Say that with me. Say Elohim. There was Elohim. There was God, and he was. God was. God is. 
And then we keep reading, and this God creates, but he doesn't create with things in front of him. There's this expression, he creates ex nihilo. He creates out of nothing because the earth was formless and void, Genesis says. The earth was formless and void. The Hebrew expression is tohu vavohu. Tohu vavohu. It's a Hebrew way of saying the whole thing was a mess. There wasn't really any order to it. It was just matter spinning around. It was chaos. There was nothing really to it. You couldn't really observe it. And then it says that the Spirit of God hovered over it. The Spirit of God is hovering over it. And so what we see is this God who is. But when we read about it, essentially, there's nothing to see here, right? This God is spirit. This God is unseen. This God creates out of nothing. This God speaks and things happen. His utterance creates. So, so, so there's this, this beautiful thing that in Genesis chapter 2, it says he breathes. And you can't see breath, but when he breathes, it says he breathes life. So all of this is really difficult to wrap our minds around, but, but here's what we have. I want you to just imagine over here, we have Elohim. We have spirit. We have, we have breath. We have a reality that exists. Genesis is describing a reality that is. This, there's no denying what, what I'm describing over here, and yet when we stand here and look at it, there is nothing we can observe with our eyes. There's nothing that we can see. We have to imagine it because we can't see it. And that is God. That is what is and yet cannot be seen. It is the realm of spirituality. So the story begins with the unseen. The story begins with what is in the spirit. The story begins with breath and Elohim and creation out of nothing. That's how the story begins. But then if you keep reading, you get something else. Over here you get sky, and you get water, and you get land, and you get birds, and you get fish, and you get trees, and you get bushes. And what you begin to see is the realm of the physical begins to emerge. So now we have the realm of the physical, and we have the realm of the spirit, right? So the realm of the physical, the realm of the spirit, both of them are real. And then what does God do next? He creates us. He creates man. He says, let us make man in our own image. Out of the dust totally physical, and then he breathes life into his nostrils, and he's totally spiritual. Do you see what's going on here? Is a human being physical or spiritual? The answer is yes. The answer is yes, right? The spiritual, the physical, And you are here. You are at the intersection of the spiritual and physical. You are totally physical. You are totally spiritual. If this is 1985, I'd say you're totally awesome too. But that's not the point. The point is you are totally physical and you are completely, completely spiritual at the same time. If you are human, if you're breathing, you are all of these things. And so the issue at hand is not whether or not you are spiritual. The issue is, have you opened your eyes to see? And that's what Jesus is doing. 
Every time Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, he's trying to get us to open our eyes so that you can see that you are spiritual, that you can understand this kingdom that is all around you. You are the fusion of two realms, which then when you begin to understand that, that has implications on life, right? Now, the way you navigate relationships is distinct from before, right? Now, the way you handle your money, the way you, you act emotionally, the way you think about yourself sexually, the way that you work, the way that you entertain yourself, all the things we do, they become different when you start living as a fully integrated being who is both fully physical and fully spiritual. Which, by the way, all of this, I think, maybe explains why sometimes we feel so broken. Because most of the time, we're only living half of our life. Most of the time we live the majority of the percentage of our life in the physical and then we wonder why we feel like something's off. We wonder why we long for something more. We wonder why it feels like we can never get enough. More about that in just a few minutes. This is why Jesus gives us these parables to say, listen, right around you right now, you can find it. And then he makes something else really clear. Second thing I want to point out, that the kingdom is something worth sacrificing for. It's something that we seek after. You pursue it. You chase it. Notice that with both men, obtaining the kingdom meant that there was some sort of sacrifice. And it's worth pursuing. It's worth, it's worth giving things up for. We're not going to find everything we're looking for in this life in this physical world. I just want to make that really clear. Like if you're searching there, you're not going to find it. And when you don't find everything you're looking for in your not finding, eventually what you will discover is frustration or you'll discover bitterness or you'll find anger or you'll become cynical. And when that happens, what Jesus is saying is, no, you're looking in the wrong realm. You're looking to satisfy something in you that doesn't get satisfied over here. It gets satisfied over here. And he's inviting us, he's calling us and saying, no, no, leave that behind and, and find what you're looking for here. Quit living in half of your being and live in all of who you are. I love these words from Frederick Buchner. He said this, if we only had eyes to see and ears to hear and wits to understand, we would know that the kingdom of God in the sense in, of holiness, goodness, beauty is as close as breathing and is crying out to be born within ourselves and within the world. We would know that the kingdom of God is what all of us hunger for above other things, even when we don't know its name or realize that it's what we're starving to death for. The kingdom of God is where we belong. It is a home. And whether we realize it or not, I think we are all of us homesick for it. To paraphrase C.S. Lewis, Lewis said this. He said, if we find ourselves longing for something in this world that, that cannot satisfy us, if we're longing and this world doesn't seem to resolve this thing that's inside of us, maybe it's that we were made for another world. There's this longing inside of us and Jesus sees it. And he's inviting us into this space, but it doesn't just happen. You don't just wake up one day and, oh, I just happened to, to just land in this place. The kingdom of God is to be sought and treasured. Maybe you heard these words before. Matthew chapter six, a little earlier in Matthew, Jesus says this. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. 
Seek first the kingdom, he says. Seek the kingdom first. But why? Because we can be rich and not feel rich. Because we can chase love and never experience love. Because we can can get power and still feel powerless. But there's something more. Seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. Jesus shows us two men. They throw themselves at it with everything they have, and there's no looking back. And ironically, what we discover when we do this is that the more concerned you are about him and his kingdom, the more joy and peace and life begins to enter in. Maybe you've heard people say this before, if you aim at heaven, you get earth thrown in. But if you aim at earth, you get neither. But you can't fake this. And this is the challenge. You can't pretend The only way into the kingdom, look at, the only way you're going to sacrifice, the only way you're going to sell everything to pursue it, the only way that happens is if you are sincere, which really presents a conundrum, right? How do you muster up sincerity? (laughs) You want to pursue this. Maybe right now you, you go, you're right. This is the answer. This is what I'm looking for. And then I say, but you have to be sincere about it. And you go, well, how do I make myself sincere? How do you generate sincerity? That's a conundrum, right? Well, that requires, it requires a conversion of sorts. One thing has to become another. There has to be a change. Something needs to shift inside of us. And I believe that is where we discover the beauty of the gospel. Let, let me explain this. Um, the other night I was, uh, I was invited to a birthday party Wednesday night for a friend, kind of newer friends met in the last year or so. And, uh, um, Going to the party, you know, I kind of discovered my wife wasn't going to be able to go with me. Another friend was supposed to go with me. And so suddenly now I'm going by myself. And so I'm driving over. It's on the east side of Portland. I'm driving to this birthday party. It's at a little establishment, a little restaurant. I'm driving over there. And as I'm driving, um, I start to get like the worst social anxiety ever because I realize I'm going to a party where the only people I know are the people throwing it. You know, like they're throwing up, and that means they're talking to everybody, which means I don't know anyone. And I know this sounds really strange because I can stand here and talk to all of you, but there is nothing more frightening than walking into a room of people I don't know and making light conversation. I was just like, and so the closer I get, the sweatier my palms are. I'm driving, I'm like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Why did I agree to do this without somebody? I need a wingman. You know, I need somebody right now to go with me. And so um, by the time I got to the door, I was reduced to my 12-year-old insecure self. I was like, open the door. And I see my friend's husband. He's standing there and I just like beeline for him. I was like, oh yeah, friend, friend, you know, like I get there, I'm like talking to him, talking to him and I goes, you know, people here goes, there's a few people in the back but you're one of the first ones to arrive and then some other people arrive and I'm just sticking with him. Like I got my guy, like we're gonna be here, you know. And then at some point I realize, you know what, I'm gonna have to like go back to the back part where the party is and now like I find like I muster up the strength. I'm like, okay, you're gonna do this. And so I like, I move away from the only safe person in the room and I venture to the back part of this restaurant and as I get back there, there's these people and they're all chatting and like my heart is like right here and I'm like, I don't know what to do. I don't know, I don't, and this is how ridiculous I am. So I, I walk up to one person and I just, I introduce myself, I start chatting and and then other people and another person, and it turns out people are really great. Like, I was like, these are really normal people. Like, I'm having normal conversations, and now we're laughing, and we're having a good time. All is not lost. Humanity is still alive and well. Like, I'm getting hope for humanity. And so I'm talking to this one lady, and then through the conversation, she finally goes, what do you do for a living? This is where all new friendships go to die for me, just so you know. (laughs) 
I wish I could answer. Like, I always think, like, I want to say, I write and I speak about spiritual. You know, I try to think of those things, but I, I looked her in the eyes. Like, and by the way, when I, I, I just said, I'm a pastor. And usually when I say that, people just say, oh, <laughs> that's interesting. You know, and they just sort of drift into the wall and disappear. Like, and then I go back to my friend that I found safe. So, um, but I said, I said, I'm a pastor. And she grabs my arm. She goes, shut up. No, you're not. It's like, no, I really am. Like, I really am. And then she looks at me and she goes, well, I need to let you know I'm not religious. And I go, neither am I. <laughs> neither am I. And then she goes, but I am spiritual. And I said, yes, you are. You are spiritual. And then this conversation starts moving, right? And now we're talking. And, and it's just, it was such a beautiful conversation. And then she was talking about beliefs and starting to dive into some of the deeper things about how we believe and what we believe. And it was one of those moments where it was like, God was just giving me the next perfect paragraph to say. And I had this beautiful answer to her question. And literally right as I opened my mouth, two other people walk up, interrupt the conversation, and it's dead. So on Thursday, I decided I'm gonna tell you guys what I was gonna tell her, all right? <laughs> What we believe isn't simply about what we believe to be true. It needs to be true. Like we need to believe that it's true. But what we believe must also be transformative. It has to be converting. It has to be changing us enough that for what we have discovered, we would sell everything we have to buy the plot of land. It has to be so beautiful. It has to be so compelling. It has to be so wonderful that when we encounter it, when we experience it, when we, when we walk in it, we would sell everything we have to buy that pearl, which is why I believe the gospel and why I'm in love with its beauty. Is there anything more compelling than looking at what Jesus has done for us? Is there anything that says that anyone has ever loved us more? I mean, when we see our own brokenness, when we see clearly our brokenness, like when we walk in our brokenness and then so clearly what Jesus does for us, when we look at a cross and we understand, there, there's something about that realization that just changes us. Like you go, oh, that, I just, that's why I love Jesus because it's not just that I believe it's true, but when I look at the beauty of what he did, it makes me a different person. It changes me. And the only way I'm ever going to be able to give up my misaligned affections and pursuits is if I find somebody who has pursued me more purely and more wholly, and that's the person of Jesus. When I look at the cross of Christ, it puts everything else in perspective and turns out I'm willing to lay it all down. But laying it down is a part of the process. Augustine said this, he said, we want to reach the kingdom of God, but we don't want to travel by way of death. And yet there stands necessity saying, this way, please, do not hesitate, man, to go this way, when this is the way that God came to you. Jesus stood at the edge of a sea, and he looked out at all of the faces, and he saw the striving he saw the disappointment. He saw the cynicism, the questions. And he said, there's another way. 
There's the way of the kingdom, and it is all around you. It is within you. It is at hand, and he invites us to live that different way. Amen? Would you pray with me? I want to do something a little bit different as we close. I want to identify um, what we might call the desolations in our own hearts, the places of wounded searching. I want you to recognize maybe there's one or two places in your life where you have pursued satisfying the deeper longings of your soul with something that would never satisfy it. Or maybe you've got this search that you're like, no, if I just got this or if I just did that, I want you to, I want you to recognize, identify that area of your own life where you've been desolated because it's just never been satisfied. It's never quite been there. And now I just want you to acknowledge that the reason that it's not there is that you've been looking in the wrong place. And so I just want you to speak into that place in prayer and remind yourself what I was really looking for, what I was really desiring is found in the kingdom of heaven, not the kingdom of earth. Just speak that into that area of heartache or frustration or disappointment and remind yourself of that. Jesus, you invite us into a place where we can live wholly and completely as you've created us, fully physical and fully spiritual. Lord, for some of us, we've been on this journey a little longer than others. But it doesn't mean we haven't searched in the wrong places. So Lord, we lean in. For others of us, maybe we're exploring and this is a new thing. And for some of us that are new to this, Lord, we just say to you right now, I see it. My eyes have been opened and I want to follow you. And maybe today we say yes to experiencing the kingdom of heaven, to knowing who you are and following you. Lord, for all of us, my prayer is that you would open our eyes so that we might see. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me? Just want to remind you as you're standing, uh, Elizabeth and Don, any questions about Friends of Refugees, they're going to be out there. They're amazing people. They really are. They've got a cool story personally, their journey. So I encourage you to chat with them. But as you go, I want to offer the benediction to you. So if you're willing to receive, hold out your hands, and I offer this blessing to you. May you be men and women who find a treasure in a field. And may you seek it with all of your heart and all of your life, with all of your possessions, because you have seen the kingdom and your eyes have been opened. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks so much for being here today, everybody. See you guys later.